Hey, thank you for taking time to watch this video message. Our prayer for you is that God would use this message in a profound way to impact your life. If you're somebody that's had your life impacted by the ministry here at Crosspoint, we would love for you to share your story with us. Simply send us an email at mystory@crosspointcity.com and let us know about what God has done in your heart. And lastly, if you need more information about the ministry here at Crosspoint, simply go to crosspointcity.com and you can find everything listed there. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, I want you to know I'm really excited to be here with y'all this morning. This series is um, it's just going to be amazing and so impactful. And I want you to know that this phrase, friend of sinners, it's found a couple of times in the Gospels. And see, the thing about it is the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, they just had this ability that it was so important to them to keep their reputation. And so because they were so concerned with their reputation, they wouldn't just hang out with just anyone. You couldn't be someone they considered unclean or definitely a sinner. But see, the deal with Jesus was he didn't care who you were. He had no trouble hanging out with you. Like in Matthew 19, these children were trying to come see him. And I don't know if you have kids, but sometimes they're dirty and they can be a bother. And Jesus, as everyone was trying to shoo them away, he was like saying, hey, let him come to me. And there was this one time too where Jesus, he actually changed his travel plans because there was this woman in Samaria that he just needed to go see and he, he needed to meet her at the well around noon. And when Jesus was here on earth, he was going around and he was going up to people and he was inviting them to be one of his disciples. And one of the gentlemen that he invited was a guy named Matthew and he walked right up to his tax collector booth and said, come follow me. And Matthew was so excited that he said, I want to have a dinner and I want to invite all my friends. And I just want to tell you a little bit about what a friend would have looked like to a tax collector. At this center, there would have been prostitutes. There would have been other tax collectors. There would have been shady businessmen. And then there would have been their thugs. Because if you didn't pay your taxes, they would send some men to help you get some incentive. Right? And so when Jesus went to Matthew's house for dinner, what I need you to know is this is the kind of people that were sitting there. And when I read that, this is what I think Jesus thought. This is the reason I came. Every single person here is far from my heavenly father. And this is the reason I came. And I want you to know, so the word on the street really is true. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And we are going to look specifically at a story from the book of John to see what kind of friend he is and what kind of friend we can be. And before we do, let me open us up in a word of prayer. Father, we just, we just welcome you here. Man, we just give you praise for all that you've shown up and done this morning. And God, we just ask through your Holy Spirit, will you speak to us? Will you remove any distractions so that we can be wholeheartedly here as we lean in to what you want to say to each and every one of us? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bible or you have a a smartphone or a tablet, I want to encourage you to open to John chapter 8, and we're going to jump right in. Now, in John chapter 8, verse 1, it starts out this way. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. 
all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. Now let me tell you what happened in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, they had been having in Jerusalem something called the Festival of Tabernacles. Now the Festival of Tabernacles was this. It was a celebration, an eight-day long celebration instituted by God to remind the Israelites of how he brought them out of Egypt and then also to let them remember that a Messiah was coming. So it was to remind them of their past and to help them remember what was coming in their future. Well, we know from John chapter 7 that Jesus came down. He spoke some in the temple. And at the end of John 7, everybody went home, but Jesus, he went to the Mount of Olives. And it says that he got up really early in this scripture here, and he came to the temple. Now, I want you to know this would have been day 9, which would have meant the entire festival was over and there would have been terrible traffic. So I don't know if everyone came because they were trying to wait on traffic to die down, but I have a feeling they came because they either heard about Jesus or they had already heard him speak. And one thing that's true about this particular time period, what was known to be known by a king was the words of wisdom they spoke. And Jesus is the king of kings, and he always spoke with great wisdom. And we're going to see that this morning. So here we have this huge, it's a part of the temple. It's actually called the court of women. And here's what's so cool about that. If Jesus had been speaking anyplace else in the temple, the woman would not have been allowed to come. But in this particular teaching, he was in the court of women. Women and men alike could come. So they come in, hundreds and hundreds of them in this several thousand square foot area. Jesus sits down and he's ready to teach them. It's early in the morning. So look what happens next. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, I want to stop right there just for a second because there's a few things that you need to notice. First of all, not only did all the people know where Jesus was, but the Pharisees knew exactly where to find him. Now, they've caught this woman supposedly in the act of an adultery. And just so you know, according to the Old Testament, adultery was punishable by death. But what's interesting is the law calls for death for both parties. And I wonder if Jesus thought, hmm, how is it you could catch the woman, but you could not catch the man? He would have known clearly that this had really been a trap for him and it had nothing to do with this woman. And then look what they say to him. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. You see, the Pharisees were well aware that Jesus loved sinners, that he loved them. And just so you know, that got on their everlasting nerve. And they despised him because of that. And they were always, if you read the Gospels, they're always trying to set these traps to catch him. But it never works out and it will not work this morning. But they've come this morning because here's what they know. Everyone in the room that's listening to him, they would consider unclean. And if Jesus, they bring this woman in and Jesus says, kill her, then everyone will stop listening to him and his message of love and forgiveness. And not only that, if he says, kill her, right now at this time period, they are under Roman rule. And according to Roman rule, adultery is not punishable by death. So not only that, he would be going against Roman government. But now if Jesus says, don't stone her, well then, now he's going against Old Testament law. 
And they are thinking, we finally have him. Now, I want to remind you of who's in the room. Because we have Jesus and we have this crowd of people. And when Jesus is teaching, they would have barged in and they would have been pushing and pulling this woman that they caught in adultery, which would have led me to believe that she probably was not appropriately clothed. And I would say to myself, if I had been there, since we already know this started early in the morning, if this had happened early in the morning, I bet if you came there not very awake, I bet by the time all this action happened, you would be wide awake. Right, and you'd be thinking, I really could use some popcorn right now. Because I'm telling you, this is a scene going on, right? This is unbelievable what's going on. And I want you to see what Jesus does next. He bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, I don't know why Jesus did that. In fact, I looked and looked and no one really did know why. But I, I kind of wondered if he just needed a moment, You see, because if I had been him, I would be so angry that these men that were after me had involved this woman. And they were accusing her of a crime that Jesus knew from Matthew 520. He teaches that if you look at a woman with lust, it is like adultery. And so here these men, they were applying the law to this woman, but not to themselves. And Jesus was down there and he was writing on the ground. He could have been doodling. Some commentaries say that he was writing out the list of the Pharisees' sins. We don't know. But then look what happens next. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. You see, Jesus knows that according to Jewish law, the accuser is the one who is supposed to throw the first stone. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that the law was wrong, but he was simply saying, listen, if we're going to apply it to her, we need to apply it to everyone in the room. And the only one in the room that was not guilty of sin was Jesus. Everybody else in the room was guilty of sin. See, in this moment, Jesus is calling these judges, these Pharisees, to judge themselves and not the woman. Man, I want you to think about the people that are in the room. Because they would have been watching this whole entire thing go down. And I want you to see what happens next. But when they heard it, they went away one by one beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. One by one, they leave. I can't help but wonder if I had been the crowd when they finally left, if I wouldn't have cheered. This was unbelievable drama going on. This was the thing that everyone in the crowd would have talked about as they left that afternoon to go back to their homes. It would have been like, hey, do you remember when this happened and the Pharisee said this and then Jesus said this and that woman, she was looking like this and then Jesus said this and the Pharisee was like, whoa, and then they left. Like that would have been the kind of conversation like, and they would have repeated the story. And when they got home, if someone didn't get to go with them to Jerusalem, they would have been, oh my gosh, you would never believe what you missed. I'm I'm telling you, it was this kind of thing going down. And just when we think it can't get any better, it does. Because up to this point, this woman's been present. She's been here. And we've 
pointed it and they've talked about her in third person, but nobody's really engaged her. And I wonder, as the Pharisees leave, if they are wondering, oh, she is sitting here going, oh man, what is he going to say to me? I imagine this was probably the most humiliating day of her life. I mean, let's be honest. To get to the temple half closed, she would have been drugged through the streets, pushed, prodded, and pulled. And here she is in the temple, and everyone here is learning about God, which means they're all against adultery, and she just was caught in adultery, which means hundreds of people's eyes were on her, and she felt all of their judgment on her. I imagine her being terrified and just wondering, what in the world is going to happen next? And so look what does happen. Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? And I want you to know, like when I read dialogue in the Bible, I kind of like hear it a little bit, not in a weird, creepy way, but I hear it, right? And I want you to know when I see that word woman, like there's something, when I first started reading, it was kind of like this woman, kind of deep woman kind of sound. But, and it kind of almost like in a harshness. But I want you to know, I looked it up. And that word woman, it literally means woman. It could mean wife. It can mean my lady. It's actually the same Greek word that Jesus referred to his mom at the wedding and when he was on the cross. So I kind of thought, okay, well, what's a word like today that would be a good translation? And so I came up with the word Girl, hey girl. So I think Jesus would have stood up and said, hey girl, where are they now? Has no one condemned you? And, and condemned, Jesus is asking, has anyone found you guilty? Has anyone judged you? And she said, no one, Lord. Man, I love that word, Lord, because this word, Lord, in the Greek, it means one who possesses power and authority to whom respect is ascribed. Like, I don't know where this lady was in her heart. I don't know what was going on. But in those few moments where she watched Jesus do life with the Pharisees, she walked away knowing, I've just spent time with someone who possesses power and authority into him. Respect should be ascribed and given. And look what Jesus says to her. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Can you imagine that? He's saying, I'm not judging you. I'm not finding you guilty. And not only that, he's saying, go. Here's your second chance. Go in a different direction. Live a different life. Go and sin no more. Now, when we look at this life of Jesus and what being a good friend looks like, I just want you to know from this small story, I think we could come up with a really exhaustive list of everything that Jesus is as a good friend to sinners. But for today, I just picked out four small points. And let me get us started here because the first one is this, is that if we want to be a good friend like Jesus, we've got to be willing to see the person. You see, a lot of times we see people, but we don't see them. What we see is their dirtiness, maybe they're smelly, we see they're messy, we see they're high maintenance, we see they're needy. But we don't see the person like right now, like you're present in here, but are you really present in here? When my son was about two and a half, we were at Big Lots and we were shopping and we were checking out and this gentleman started helping to unload my buggy, which seems like that wouldn't be a weird thing, but the deal was he wasn't an employee. 
So um, this gentleman also had a uh, major uh, speech impediment. He had a very distinctive uh, limp and his face was distorted. And so as he's unloading my buggy and I'm trying to just ascertain what's going on, I'm like remembering, like I have a toddler and I don't know about your toddlers, but my toddlers when they were little could say the darndest things to people at the most inappropriate time. And I just kept thinking, oh, I so hope he doesn't ask what's wrong with that man's face because, you know, that this gentleman, he obviously had had been in some sort of accident that had caused this. And so we were just talking and he said, here, I'll help you out with your cart. And so we go out and he's, he's walking us to our car and, and we're just talking. I'm telling you, there's nothing magical going on here. I'm just asking about him. And then after we get through unloading all our little purchases, he looks at me and he says, I want to give your son this pink dolphin. And I immediately thought, oh, did he steal that? Like I was really concerned. And I thought, if I take it, are we an accomplice? How does this look? I don't even know this man. It was all this stuff. And I I was like, and he didn't have anything. It was evident the way he was dressed. Everything about him screamed. He didn't have anything. And I don't know why I thought if he kept his dolphin, that was going to really sew it up for him. But I did think that. And I said, no, no, don't don't give us your dolphin. Keep your pink dolphin. And he said, no, I want to give your son this dolphin because no one ever speaks to me. And here's what he was saying. No one ever sees me. Like they see all of this and they hear my speech impediment, but they don't see me. And he was so grateful that we just saw him. And Jesus was great at seeing people. Like the people that the Pharisees would write off because of their profession or past, Jesus would embrace. He saw everyone as a person and not a project. You see, in this story, all the Pharisees saw was this lady's sin, but Jesus saw her heart. He saw her heart. And if we're going to be a good friend, just like Jesus, I need to warn you up front. Sometimes being a good friend will come at the most inopportune time. Because he hears Jesus. He has everyone leaning into what he's saying. And then this crowd of Pharisees come barging in, and he could clearly have done the parent thing that we do. Or he could have not even paid attention. But being a good friend means seeing the person. And sometimes it's messy, but it's taking time to be with that person. Because at the end of the day, life is full of divine interruptions. Now in Genesis 16, there's a lady by the name of Hagar. And she is the maidservant to Sarah. Sarah's made married to Abraham and Abraham and Mary cannot get, Abraham and Sarah cannot get pregnant. So Sarah has this great plan that she kind of hatches up. Why don't you sleep with my maidservant, Hagar, and if she gets pregnant, it'll be like my child, but it will just come from her. And so, as women, we sometimes just do the craziest things. Because Abraham sleeps with her, and she does get pregnant, and then Sarah gets mad. Why did you sleep with her? And he's like, you told me to. And then she's like, well, I think that woman has contempt for me because she's carrying your child. So Abraham's kind of like, okay, seriously, you're wearing me out. So he's like, do whatever you want to with her. So Sarah literally treats her so severely and so harshly that Hagar leaves the camp. And I need to tell you, they're camped in the desert. So now that Hagar has left the camp, she's got no food. In fact, she has become food for some four-legged creature that is out in the desert. But out in this desert, she meets God. And she comes back to the camp after speaking with God and says, I have seen the God who sees. I have seen the one who sees. 
And that leads us to our next thing that we can learn about being a good friend. We don't just have to see the person, y'all. We need to know the one who sees. You see, Jesus in the Gospels, it's so funny. I always love it when the disciples are trying to find him. And then he's like, you know, over here spending time with his heavenly father. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm spending time with my heavenly father. But here's what I want to show you. It was really important to Jesus to spend time with him. And look at what he says here in scripture. In John 5, I can do nothing of my own accord, but only what I see the Father doing. See, Jesus spends time so he knows what his Father is about. And then he goes on in John 12. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. See, Jesus spent time so he could be in relationship with his heavenly Father And that he could know exactly what was Jesus, what God was doing around him so he could join in. And I love this next part right here. In John 14, 31, Jesus says, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love him. See, here's what I I sometimes worry. I think that the enemy kind of has us duped when it comes to spending time with the one who sees I think he just makes us feel like it has to be every day, hours and hours. And then we look at our life and we're like, I'm going to fall asleep. There's no way I can do that. And we don't even try. I want to encourage you. Like if you're a student and if you're like me, I really don't like getting up early. So when I was in high school, my time to spend time with God was in the afternoon when I got home. And if you have a job, if you leave home, and I just want to encourage you, get to work a few minutes early or during your lunch break, go sit in your car for 15 minutes. Or maybe come home 15 minutes later, just pull over or stay in the parking lot where you work. And if you're thinking about doing this, man, I just want to encourage you, man, get in on the action. Join us with our nine-day reading Bible plan. Read your Bible from your car and then Pray. Because here's what happens when you spend time with the one who sees. It changes the way you see. It changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you see everyone and everything. During World War II, there was a gentleman, and he was a doctor. His name was Eugene Lazowski. And here's what he did. He was raised in this home. It was a family. They knew the one who sees, and they saw people. And his parents took in two Jewish families because they wanted to hide them from the Nazis. And as a medical doctor, he got enrolled into the Polish army and he spent some time in this village. And where he lived in this little village, his little house, it backed up what was known as the Jewish ghetto. And if you helped anyone that was Jewish and they caught you, they would kill you. Well, they knew that the Nazis were coming towards them and towards their village and their village was full of Jewish people. And he had to do something because he saw the person. He saw all of the persons. And he knew the one who sees. And you know, when we spend time with God, he helps us see things differently in a way that you never would have thought you could have think of. You see, because Eugene had this friend who figured something out. If you inject somebody with a dead disease bacteria, so you inject somebody with a bacteria of a disease, but it's dead. When you pull the blood work on this person, it will look as though they had that disease. And here's what he knew. Right now, running through Europe was this disease called the epidemic typhus. And the Nazis were scared stiff about it because it could literally wipe out an entire regiment. 
So he got to thinking, what if I put this, not just in every Jewish person in this village, but every person in this village? What if they knew that we were all, or they thought we were all infected with it? He got everybody on board because he saw differently. When word got back that everyone, everyone in the village tested for the epidemic typhus, they quarantined the village and the Jews did not come. Because of that man, he saved the lives of 8,000 people. See, if we're going to be a good friend, man, we've got to see the people and we've got to know the one who sees. Look at this scripture right here. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, Jesus came. It was so important to him. He saw the person. And it was really important to him to come to those who were lost and to save them. And I want you to know, as you spend time with God, I want you to know, if you are a Christ follower, as you spend time with him, he will speak to you. Because I don't know if you know this, but if you're a Christ follower, you have living water inside of you. You carry the hope of the world, and that's Jesus. And look what it says here in Isaiah. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. You see, if you're a Christ follower, when you spend time with the one who sees, he will tell you and lead you and guide you and give you wisdom and give you counsel to do the things that God's called you to do because I want you to know he orders our steps and sometimes those steps cause you to cross with somebody else and it's a divine appointment and he has something that he would like for you to say into that person. But to be a good friend, man, we gotta see the person and we've gotta know the one who sees. And the third thing is this. We gotta be willing to defend and not condemn. Defend and not condemn. Man, you know, I think Jesus was more concerned with this woman here than anyone else in the room. He didn't care what people thought about him. I bet he could see the fear in her eyes. And he had a choice. Was he going to defend her or was he going to condemn her just like the Pharisees? And so it makes me think, I just wonder in your life, who is it in your life that you need to defend and not condemn? Who is it in your life that everybody has written off? Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's just in the people you hang out with. Who is it in your life that people have forgotten? People have just thought, you know what? They're never going to change. Who is it in your life that no other church will take? When we came to this church over eight years ago, the thing that we both walked out of instantly was that this church had people that didn't look all like us. We loved the diversity. We loved that anyone could come here anytime. And that is still true today. And I just think, man, that is the heartbeat of Jesus. Anyone, anytime, come here, worship him. Because here's the deal. If you like, well, say, I, you know what, Susie, I come to church. This is, my, this is my home. I love this place. I want you to know there's people in your life that are caught in sin. They already know what you think about them. That woman already knew what everybody thought about them in the crowd. She didn't need anybody to tell her. But you know, there's people in your life, they need you to give them and defend for them. 
what nobody else will do. Because you know what I find interesting about this chapter? Actually, it's a little shocking to me, but it's really how people are. In the beginning of chapter 8, these Pharisees, they want to stone this woman. But by the end of it, they want to stone Jesus. You can go read it for yourself. And here's what I want to tell you. Man, haters are just going to hate. That's just it. So shake it off, right? And I want you to defend and not condemn. Defend and not condemn. Do the thing. Be the friend God has called you to be. You need to see the person. You need to know the one who sees. You need to defend, not condemn. And the last thing is this. You need to offer grace and truth. Oh, man. Nobody in that temple knew her heart but Jesus. I believe she was ripe for the picking. And you know, part of being a good friend, it's not just calling people away from sin, but it's calling them to something else. Look in this passage on Jesus. It's in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus gives this woman what He's full of. He gives her grace when He says, Neither do I condemn you. And then He gives her truth. Now go and sin no more. He's saying, go on a different direction. Go a different way. Because here's the deal. If we only give people grace, it's just tolerance. And if we only give people truth, man, it's just legalism and self-righteousness. But they go together. We need to give people both grace and truth. Not just one or the other. I love this passage. This is from Psalm 103. And this is what Jesus does with our sins. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, if you're visiting here today and you're like, I don't know about this God thing, I just want you to know, just so you know, being a child of God, I mean, it's got benefits. He forgives all our iniquity. He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. And I just feel confident that there are people in your life, they need someone to say to them, I know a guy. He can get you out of this pit. And then it goes on. And Jesus crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Do you know that you've been crowned with steadfast love and mercy? And he satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. You know what I think is interesting about this culture is I think we spend so much time trying to do things that we think are going to give us rest. And, and I don't know what that looks like. And, and I don't think these things are bad in themselves. Like sometimes you just want to lose yourself in your favorite series or TV show. Or maybe you're all into running or working out or maybe shopping is your thing. I, I don't know what it looks like. But we, we do all of these things to get ourselves rest. But at the end of the day, we never feel rested. And here's what I want to just tell you. True rest is found only in Jesus. It's sitting with him. It's being at his feet. And it's listening to what he has for us. 
See, Jesus was a friend of sinners, y'all. And I'm so glad he was. But you know, something that's so interesting to me is that if Jesus came for the lost and for those who were sick, if this is not on my radar, if this is not on your radar, then do we really know what's on Jesus' heart? Are we really connected with him? Like as you sit here and listen to this morning, I just wonder, is there people in your life that you need to see the way Jesus saw that woman? Is there people that you need to defend, you need to offer grace and truth to? Because you may be here and you may be like, yeah, we're, we all love Jesus in my life. And I just want to say, I hear that. But Jesus came for those that are doing life around you that don't know him as well. And if you would say, I can't think of a person, I want to encourage you this way to ask the Holy Spirit to show you that person. And if you're like, again, everybody's good, then I want to encourage you, where can I start going and hanging out? Like, do I just hang out at PTA? Is it the soccer field? God, where can I hang out? Is it the gym? Where can I hang out and meet people that are lost? So that I can develop a relationship with them. So I might have the opportunity to tell them about you. Well, I was thinking about this morning and it was really important that you guys were able to remember any or all of my points. And so I thought about that. And so because I'm up here speaking, I can do whatever I want. I just made up a word and I took the first letter of every point. And just so you know, it spells the word skidoo. It's not even a word unless you watch Blue's Clues. But here's my deal. I want you this week. I want you to leave here today and I want you to skidoo through the week. I want you to see the person. I really want to encourage you to spend time and know the one who sees. Because when you do, it will radically change everything for you. I want you to defend and not condemn. And I want to encourage you. Offer grace and truth. Because that day in the temple, it wasn't just Jesus. It wasn't just this woman. It wasn't just the Pharisees. There was a crowd of people watching. And I need you to know, as you do life this week and you skidoo, people are watching. They're watching you. And they're seeing the love of Jesus pour out from you onto someone that they may think doesn't deserve it. But see, I think that day in the temple, I think that woman wasn't the only one there that met Jesus. I think that when people saw how well he loved her and how he saw her and how he defended her and how he offered her grace and truth, I think they couldn't help but want to follow him. And as you live your life and you walk these four points out, I am telling you, people will be drawn to him. All because you're just being obedient and you're being a friend of sinners, you're being a good friend just like Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We just welcome you this week into our whole week. And I just ask God, do not let us miss you. Don't let this be just another time where we just go, oh yeah, that was something. And we leave, God, I pray you'd write this on our hearts that we would become friends of sinners just like you. And that we would continually remember that because of Christ in us, man, we have the hope for the whole world. God, we love you. 
We thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.